Hey, this is Amanda, women's health dietitian. And I'm Emily, nutritional therapy practitioner. And this is the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we help you navigate the confusing world of women's hormones and teach you how to have healthy periods. Each week, we will be diving into a different topic on women's health and sharing our perspective using nutrition, female physiology, and metabolic health. Our goal is to help you wade through conflicting health information and empower you on your healing journey. We hope you enjoy it. In this episode, we are focusing on all things related to breastfeeding and what new moms can expect in the fourth trimester with registered nurse and IBCLC Therese Stansby. Therese received her bachelor's degree in science and became a registered nurse in 2007. She was a neonatal intensive care or NICU nurse for the first eight years of her career after brief stints working in high-risk OB and then a low-risk birth center and completing half of a master's degree with the intent of becoming a certified midwife. She instead became an international board-certified lactation consultant in 2015 after overcoming several feeding obstacles with her first baby. She is now a homeschooling mom of three with kids ages ranging from eight years to eight months and has left the hospital to continue her own lactation consultation private practice. I'm so excited to have you here today, Therese. I really appreciate you coming on. I feel like I selfishly have a lot of questions (laughs) for you as a new mom, but can you just like go right into this? whole transition from midwife to IBCLC because that like really surprised me. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. I'm just really happy to be here with you and you're in such a perfect season to talk about this with. So I, when I was a senior in high school, I went to an all girls high school so we could do this. We watched a birth video in anatomy class (laughs) and I came home and I was like, that's it. I'm going to be an OBGYN. My dad is a doctor and he's very supportive, but he was like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I said, well, you know, okay, like married, maybe thinking about having a kid. He was like, when you have kids, how much do you want to work? And I said, well, probably just part time. And he was like, you probably don't want to be a doctor. (laughs) And I was like, I'm very thankful for that conversation because he was right. That did not mesh. (laughs) And that would have been a lot of time and money for that realization. So he told me about nurse midwifery, which I actually didn't know about. They just, they had nurse midwives at the hospital he was at. And I shadowed a few when I was in high school and I was like, okay, great. You know, easy pivot. I'll go to nursing school and I'll go to midwifery school. So I went to nursing school and I applied for jobs afterwards. And I applied for kind of everything in the maternal child spectrum. And I think the only job interviews I got were at all the NICUs I applied to. So I was like, well, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll work in the NICU for a while and then reapply to L&D. And I just fell in love with the NICU. And I stayed there for about five years. I kind of hit a little burnout point, which I think is fairly common in a really intense field like that. And I thought, okay, now's my time to go back to midwifery school. I applied, I got in, I got about halfway through and I just realized kind of similar to that first conversation. I feel like I I realized I I just wanted to have my own babies. I feel like that sounds so kind of weird to say. I was like, I love this and I care so much about this. And I don't want to be on call 24-7. I shadowed a midwife in clinic who just worked part-time and part-time hours were like three clinic days a week plus one 24-hour on-call shift every week. And I was like, this is this is a lot. I just, and then some of my midwife friends were talking to me about malpractice insurance and you kind of have to work full time to afford it. And I just, I just stopped. It was a hard decision and a very humbling one, but I was like, I'm going to stop now. I had been a teaching assistant. So thus far I had avoided like loans and stuff. And I was kind of at this point where I was going to start having to pay. And I just didn't see myself using it in the way that I thought I would. So that was a humbling decision. I went back to the NICU and I always loved working with the feeding team in the NICU. So there was an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, and a lactation consultant that would work with all the babies and they were called the feeding team. And I was like, maybe someday I'll go back and become a speech therapist and do that because I loved what they did. And then I was like, 
what am I doing? Like IBCLC is the easiest <laughs> route to get into the feeding team. And that's what I want to do anyways. You know, I don't want to go to speech path school or so I filed that away because, again, I was like, we're about to start a family. This is not a time to restart another grad school program. And then my first kiddo was about 10 months old. And the hospital I was at in the NICU had a scholarship for IBCLC training. And I kind of just, I applied and I jumped at it and I got it and I did it. So in the end, it kind of fell into my lap and I just haven't looked back at all. It's been the best. That was seven years ago. Yeah. Like in 2015, I think. Yes. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. like seven years. And what was your first breastfeeding experience like? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was at first I thought it was because it wasn't painful and he nursed for a long time, but I was like, okay, that's fine. We're cluster feeding. Like. The NICU nurse in me was so rule-oriented. In the NICU, you feed the babies, like, exactly this many milliliters of milk, and you weigh their diapers, and, like, it was so hard for me to trust my intuition, but I, I, I was like, okay, we're still checking all the boxes. We're still peeing this many times and pooping this many times, and but he wasn't actually eating often enough. He was only eating, like, six or seven times a day, and in my head, I was like, well, but he's eating for like an hour each time. So maybe, but he went, you know, at three weeks, he wasn't back to birth weight. So then I started playing catch up with triple feeding and seeing a lactation consultant and all of that. And he ended up having a posterior tongue tie, which pro- which was probably a big part of the problem. But we didn't get that addressed till he was two and a half. And I just was so fed up with the it was so hard to find answers or like, it was like there was some secret out there that nobody was telling me. (laughs) And I felt like by the time I got to the bottom of it, I was practically there. I mean, I'd already had the hours working with moms and babies. I didn't mind the the studying and the education. And, and then you, you take the board exam and I finally had my answers, but it was a big rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's something that every like new mom or soon to be new mom should hear is that mm-hmm. even someone that was a nurse, a NICU nurse, yeah. and did this for a living and was studying to be an IBCLC had a hard time and couldn't quite find all the answers that you were looking for. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't beat yourself up because <laughs> yes. I get, I feel like I get messages all the time because I talked about my daughter's tongue tie and lip mm-hmm. tie, and they were just it's like so many moms just don't know what to do, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. And you want somebody to tell you what to do. And part of becoming a mother is taking ownership of those things. But I just felt so unsupported in them because, you know, my pediatrician was like, no, he doesn't have a tongue tie. And it was just a little bit crazy making. And yeah. it took me a while to be more assertive and find a different care team and figure things out. But everything he ended up, how long did he end up breastfeeding for? 27 months. Awesome. Yes. Yep. So yeah, even with the it, tongue tie, didn't, yeah. <laughs> didn't stop it. Yeah. He did not get revised until we weaned because in older babies and, and toddlers, it can cause an aversion. And so I was like, well, just finish and then, yeah. and then do it. He was having some issues with solids and things like that. So yeah. And it was so, for us, it was not enjoyable or bonding until after a year because I was so focused on, is he gaining weight? He was always like mm-hmm. in the 10 percentile, you know, and I just still was counting his diapers. I mean, red flag for postpartum anxiety. I was counting his diapers. I was counting his minutes of feeding. I was counting his minutes of sleep for months. Yeah. And uh, finally, after a year, I was like, oh, okay we don't have to do this anymore. We get to do this now. And now I see why people talk about it in a more positive light. I have the exact opposite experience where Eliana was, I was told she has a tongue and lip tie because we had some troubles in the beginning Mm -hmm. and she lost a lot of weight very quickly. I just think Mm -hmm. that I just didn't know how, and she didn't know how to breastfeed either. And we were just kind of like learning together and she had a hard time latching. So of course, like she definitely had tightness, but I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, there, she, at her two week appointment, she had gained all her weight back. Okay. So I was like, okay, great. So I'm not going to like do anything about 
this tie mm-hmm. then. Like, I'm not going to get it revised. I just like felt deep down. I was like, I just don't think that I think that we can do other things to help this and like stretch mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. And I mean, now she's like, she's been in like the 95th percentile for weight. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, so she's nice. a very chunky, chunky girl. Yes. But like every lactation, I could not find one lactation consultant that would be like supportive of me not having it revised. Mm-hmm. And that like, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is like very disheartening. Uh, I just feel yeah. like, come on. I don't, if, if someone tells, if a client tells me they don't want to do something, then I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm not going to work with you. <laughs> you know what oh, I gosh. mean? No. I don't yeah. know. It's just like felt so aggressive, but yeah, yeah I, I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. People message me all the time and they're like, should I do this? Should I not? I'm like, well, I don't know because I haven't seen your baby. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't fall in the camp of like, absolutely always you should revise or absolutely never you should revise. It is totally a case by case basis. And I, having had my own like maternal concerns and intuition kind of squelched so early on, I'm really big on like, we're going to talk about this until you feel yeah. better about it. And we're going to get to the bottom of it. So that's, that's my philosophy. I love that. I think that moms need that kind of support, especially for their first babies. Cause you're just like, I don't want to do anything wrong. Like I, I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt the baby. You know, like you, there's just so much like worry and anxiety around that. So it's like, if you can just have someone that's so supportive of you and they're like, listen, like, what do you, what do you think? You know, what do you think that he or she needs? You know? So yeah. Yeah. What do you think they need right now? Yeah. Like, let's go, let's go that direction. I love that. So just even just talking about new moms, that was probably the top question I got from women on Instagram when I posted the little question box of like, I'm interviewing Therese. What do you guys want to know about breastfeeding? Mm-hmm. And most people were just kind of like, I want to prepare because mm-hmm. they're either pregnant or they're thinking about getting pregnant and they just don't know what to expect. So mm-hmm. what can new moms expect in that fourth trimester? And we'll talk about like different seasons of breastfeeding because they're all very different. But yes. what about that fourth trimester? Yeah, I think the fourth trimester, again, with your first baby is just such a steep learning curve. And it changes every week is different because the four, I mean, you know, it's like pregnancy, the the change and development is still so rapid. I mean, I remember having friends with babies at the same time as me, and they were, they were just so different, even though they're only a few weeks apart. And so I think it's so it's hard to even say what to expect. But I think what you have to plan for is rest, like you've talked about and like I've talked about. And I think that taking a breastfeeding education class is helpful. I feel like we learn so much on social media. Sometimes we forget like if I'm going to take a birth prep class, I should probably take a breastfeeding class if I'm invested in this. And the perk about taking a class is that you often go with your partner and you guys are on the same page. That was another even my husband is great now, but he will admit like in the beginning, he was not helpful or supportive. Like he didn't understand why breastfeeding was important to me. He didn't understand why I would keep going when it was stressing me out. He has since apologized profusely. But <laughs> I think if, even if we, if I just thought I have all the knowledge and I was like the baby knowledge gatekeeper in our house. And that wasn't a good dynamic either. So I think just being on board with your partner and learning those things together is valuable too. I love that. I did. I reached out to you when I was preparing and wanted to take a class. I was like, Therese, what class should I take? We had just started ours and I was like, oh man, ask me in a few months. I know. I know. That's okay. I definitely plan on like I, I'll go. I'm definitely going to go through it in the future because I also feel like you know we're probably going to wait at least like a few years to ha- try to yeah. have another baby. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends is like, "You'll forget everything, so you'll need to do this all again." <laughs> so. And it'll just be different because it's a different exactly. person. My second yeah. breastfeeding experience was super different from my first, and and my yeah. third has been different too. I mean, yeah, it's so it's so wild when you think about it. But yes. I did have my husband do it with me, mostly because he has an amazing memory. He is like okay. the best memory. <laughs> And I was like, listen, I'm like, you're going to go through this and all the, when stuff comes up and I can't think of it because I haven't slept and I'm tired, I'm like, I need you to remember. And it honestly, like he was like amazed by the whole thing. He did, Mm -hmm. we took a birth class together too. And I was kind of like, I'm like, should I make him take the breastfeeding class? And then I was like, yes. Like, why wouldn't I? Because when I need help, he's going to feel useless and that's Mm -hmm. not really fair either. So I'm really happy that you mentioned that. Is your class available now? It's so close. Okay. It should be available by the end of September. 
Okay, cool. So, so we're, soon yeah, after, we're getting really right close. around when this comes out then. Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and I will make sure that we link everything in the stories and Instagram and the podcast notes and everything. Once we have that, I'm going to, I'll definitely go through it too. But I was like, I mean, this was the one I wanted to take when I was so I know. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 But I'm glad that's a good point too, about the memory because you are in this hormonal haze and you can't, I don't know what your experience has been with that, but mine, like I could, nobody could have prepared me for that. Like just not having all my faculties the way that I thought I would, you know, it's very different to take care of a baby that's not yours when they're one day old versus your one day old baby when you just delivered them. Yeah. (laughs) So that, that is a great point. Yeah. Your husband's life has changed, but not, not internally in the same way that yours has so he can still remember that class that you took two months ago yeah. whereas you're just like all you can see is like your boob and the baby's head and you're like I don't know what else <laughs> I know and and you're yeah. just you know you're like troubleshooting that was like a big thing and I'm like a very like I like to watch things a few times I like to take mm-hmm. notes because mm-hmm. I'm I'm super like visual and I have to like write it down to really like absorb and learn it so that's why yeah. I liked the online like course format like for me that's a great learning tool and mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to watch the videos later because yes. a lot of it I just felt like I'm like well this doesn't apply right now because I don't know if this is a thing right like yeah. I don't know if like like they had stuff in like mastitis and things that can go mm-hmm. wrong and tips for latching and I'm like how do I know you just don't know until you're there and you're doing yes, it. Exactly. So for me, I love the idea of having like the videos to go back. And I did do that. I watched a ton when we were having difficulty. So it's like, it's a good resource. You can all, there's like in-person classes usually too. It's just kind of mm-hmm. like, you don't know, you yeah. know, research, research the teacher, obviously. Yeah. And I do teach, I teach in-person ones as well. And I feel, I feel like you can't go as in-depth because the attention span is shorter. Whereas an online class, you can pause it and you can get up and, and yeah, also same thing, since you're not there yet, they're just like staring at me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what questions do you have? You know, you don't even know what you don't know at that point. And that's fine. That's why you take a class to kind of lay that foundation. But I do think having being able to go back is helpful, too. Yeah. And I, I think like a lot of the questions people were asking is like, you know, like, how do you know when your milk has come in? Or like, what do you Mm -hmm. do when you're like dealing with like engorgement and like, Mm -hmm. just like the growth spurts that happen in that kind of first three months, I feel like they're just Mm -hmm. like wild. Can you speak to a little bit of like that and then how that can change, you know, once you get past that fourth trimester? Yes, the growth spurts are so intense in the first three months. So how you know your milk has come in, most people are like, you'll know when your milk comes in. And most people do. But I think for first time moms, it can be like three to six days. And so sometimes you hit that like four days, five days, has my milk come in? I don't know. Usually you will wake up and your breasts are fuller, they're warmer, they're heavier. Suddenly you're hearing a lot more swallows baby's poop if it hasn't already turned like from kind of black to brown to yellow will turn yellow when your milk comes in that's kind of the cliff notes version of that it doesn't have to be painful and there doesn't have to be engorgement but most women there will be that hormonal flip the switch to when okay like my milk has come in now and then growth spurts, they, they, yeah, they're so intense. And there's several of them right off the bat before you maybe have even figured out breastfeeding super well. So you're like, is, are you cluster feeding because you're not getting enough milk? Or are you cluster feeding because there's a growth spurt? So there's a lot to watch and pay attention to in the first few weeks. And then that six-week point is, I don't know if you experienced, it's pretty intense feeding-wise because they're having that physical growth spurt, but they're also having that big developmental leap or growth spurt where like they're learning how to smile socially and they're sleeping less because they're not like sleeping newborns anymore. And that one's pretty intense too. I feel like after that, it slows down a little bit. See, then you hit like a two month growth spurt and then you hit a three month growth spurt and then they slow down a little bit. There's this app. Have you heard of it? It's called the Wonder Weeks. Yes. Yeah. Do you use it? I do because it in the beginning, like you were talking about like the six week growth spurt. I feel like Eliana, mm-hmm. it was like every like from four weeks and then every two weeks. So it was okay. like four, yeah. six, eight, yeah. ten. It's a lot. Like those were <laughs> yes. all like such intense t- like something, mm-hmm. you know, like her sleep would be off or like I couldn't console her or she'd want to eat all the time. Like something big mm-hmm. would happen and I would I would get like worried. But then I would look and be like, Oh, 
she's going through like this leap or whatever. Yes. And so mm-hmm. for anyone that like, I would say like wonder weeks, like really helped me mentally. And I had another, a friend, she actually did a gallbladder episode on this podcast. Her mm-hmm. son was born the same day Eliana was born. Oh, fun. And it, it was fun, but how you were saying babies are so different, even though they yes. were born the same day, almost the same mm-hmm. time, still so different. Like yeah. completely yes. different. Like, cause you know, mm. she'll like message me like, oh, are you like, is, is Eliana doing this? Or like you dealing with this? And I'm like, no. But then like two days <laughs> later, you know, so it's yes. wonder weeks and just like knowing that like they're going through these developmental things, like the leaps are fun to learn about. And then like the videos mm-hmm. that show you like what they're seeing and what the development looks like for them. It just like, for me, it really gave me lots of like empathy and also like, Oh, this is really fun. We can do these things. Cause she's like learning this, mm-hmm. but also sanity. Cause you kind of think, am I doing something wrong? Is she getting what she yes. needs? And especially yeah. with breastfeeding, if you're having any issues in the beginning, all you do is worry after yes. <laughs> that they're eating enough. You're like, did we regress? Did we? Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. Wonder Weeks. I have had some people tell me that they dread it because of that timeline. And if their baby's really intense, they're like, we have a month long stormy period coming up and that can be overwhelming. But I think you're right. If you focus on the information that they have about the phase that you're in, it is really helpful and less crazy making because yeah, you're, you're like, oh, we're just, there's a reason for this and I can help them through it. And then we get to get to the other side and they're going to be rolling over or whatever the skill is. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like little things like that. And I think that's the other thing, like when you prepare to breastfeed, it's like, if something comes up, like if your latch isn't great, if you have nipple pain, it's like, you know, you've already kind of learned about it. So even if, even if you don't know exactly what to do, it's like, you know, that like, okay, this happens. I don't want to say like, it's normal, but it's common. You know, mm-hmm. part of it, I feel like can be normal because you're both learning how to breastfeed <laughs> you and the baby. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, in homeschooling, we call that the anchor. So it's like you have this anchor in your memory of nipple pain, and then you can attach all your new information to it, but getting it prenatally (laughs) gives you that anchor to kind of go back to. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk about ecological breastfeeding. We had quite Mm -hmm. a few questions on that. People want to know what it is. And then, you know, we were talking before we started about how it can be used as birth control. And that kind of brought up a lot of questions of like, what does it do to your hormones? Like while Mm -hmm. you are ecologically breastfeeding? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. And we probably don't need to show them all. (laughs) Um, So and I actually had to pull it up because honestly, there's a whole checklist of ecological breastfeeding, and I never remember them all. So ecological breastfeeding is not exactly the same as the lactational amenorrhea method or LAM. And they're not exactly the same as just your standard natural family planning methods either. So so ecological breastfeeding is breastfeeding exclusively for the first six months, which then another one is avoid bottles and pacifiers. So we're talking like exclusively. It's comfort nursing and napping with your baby, co-sleeping at night feedings, nursing around the clock and not putting them on a feeding schedule and not being separated from the baby, which I feel like this list, if you're looking into attachment parenting and then you look at this list, you're like, how do I, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How does this mesh with any sort of modern life as we know it, which is a valid question. And it can make you reevaluate life as we know it. But it's definitely not a good fit for everybody because you have to follow all of those steps. Yes. All of them. And then even then, it's like really technically only supposed to be used as birth control for the first six months. Mm -hmm. And even after that, it's not actually reliable birth control. Before six months, I think you're more likely to have a period without ovulating. But after six months, you're more likely to ovulate first and then before you've had your period. And so you enter this phase of like, oh, I didn't know I could get pregnant while I was breastfeeding. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to be careful too. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want any surprise babies because I said you couldn't get pregnant while breastfeeding. Not saying that. (laughs) So Yeah. I think that's why it's nice to like just distinguish like what is because I think some people think like oh it's exclusive breastfeeding I'm like mm-hmm. it but there I mean everyone there's a different definition for everything and like exclusive yes. breastfeeding could mm-hmm. mean something different to me than it means to someone else yes. so that's why I was like let's define what it is because you do it's yes. like it's like this whole checklist 
-hmm. And technically you have to do all those things, which is like honestly impossible for most people. I would think. And once you have a subsequent child, especially like I would love to nap with my baby, but I can't. (laughs) I mean, most people's lives are not set up for this, even if they are stay at home moms. Yeah. So yeah, unfortunately, because grandma doesn't live next door. Yeah. 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 Well then, but then you're separated, you know? So it's, it's like, it's very, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm like trying with Eliana, but like, even now it's like, I have a nanny here a few days a week Mm -hmm. and I'm really probably only away from her for like an hour and a half, two hours tops at a time. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, is that too long? I mean, I feel weird when I'm away from her, so it could be. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just interesting. It's like, and yes, like, so for the first six months, it can be used as birth control if you're following mm-hmm. them all correctly. Mm-hmm. What about the lactation amenorrhea? That's also just six months. I think that okay. people don't quite understand that when they're like, my friend didn't get her period until she stopped breastfeeding at age three or whatever. And yeah, I think even when you poll, people have been all the Instagram polls, you know, and I'm like, I think more people are getting their period back while they're breastfeeding than we think they are. But even then I was, I was not an IBCLC at this point, but I was a breastfeeding educator with my first and I was like shocked to get my period back at six months. <laughs> I mean, oh, I did was like, you? what is happening? And I, but I was leaving him for 12 hour shifts, but just once a week and I was pumped. So he would get like three bottles a week. None of my okay. kids had a drop of formula, but I got it back at six months. And then so with- interesting. With my second, I got it back at three months. And with my third, I got it back at eight weeks. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think that this method works for me. I'm, I'm not relying on Do you know if it. you ovulated? I don't know if I did before eight weeks, but I okay. certainly have since then. He's eight okay. months now and so I would have. Oh, yeah. But the interesting thing is I was so annoyed this time. I was like, seriously, I'm so much more nourished. I'm so like, just give me a break. But I have had postpartum OCD this time, and there is a very drastic fluctuation within my cycle. So I think if I wasn't have ovulating and having those two weeks of progesterone in my system, I don't think that I would be doing very well right now. That is so, so interesting. Yeah, because it's calming. Yeah. It's like a stress relief. Yeah. And I feel so much better during that part. I'm like, okay, yeah. my, maybe my body is taking care of me after all. Yeah. It's, and you just didn't know it mm-hmm. just because yes. it doesn't look like you. we think it's supposed to if you're breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. What I know like for a lot of women that I've talked to, it's when they drop that nighttime feed that they typically mm-hmm. get their – but not all of yeah. them. But a lot of uh, them, it's like they drop that feed and then they get their period That back. is very That is very common. I Again, though – like, let me caution you. My child wakes every hour at night. <laughs> I'm still ovulating. And gosh, that is crazy. Yeah, it's so, so interesting what our bodies will do. Yeah, so I have like that bias against it because mm-hmm. I know that for me, I am glad that we have also used other methods of natural family planning. So I knew yeah. that it actually wasn't. A great time I know. I I'm to like too pregnancy. scared to rely just on it, even though it's like yes. You know, it's at three and a half months now as of recording mm-hmm. this, and it's like I haven't had any signs or anything, yeah. but you know, still, I'm just like, I just don't know. Yeah, some people they don't yeah. get if they co sleep, they don't get their periods back until they're like, yes, kids two and a half, you know, so yeah. it's, yep. it's interesting. Yeah. It's just good, you know, because we had a question around that of like, what did they say? When your cycle, like basically, when should you expect that your cycle comes back? Does it change your milk supply at all? So it can, I think, and it's interesting kind of knowing more about nutrition and mineral status and my own health now, because with my first, I feel like it did. I always had a marginal supply with him because I was playing that catch-up game. Mm -hmm. We never had to supplement, but we were always like right there, you know, and I would notice it, but now I feel like I don't notice it at all. So, and I'm even having to relearn some of that because the theory is that the progesterone lowers your supply in the second half of the cycle. I'm not entirely convinced that that's even true. In pregnancy, it's true. The The placental progesterone absolutely opposes the prolactin. So at the end of pregnancy, your prolactin's way up here and your progesterone is way up here. So your prolactin 
I mean, it goes up a little bit after birth, but you have enough prolactin at any point after 20 weeks to breastfeed once the progesterone drops. And so it makes sense that that was kind of the working theory with with your cycle too. But I've been using like bioidentical progesterone drops this time. And I feel like I have significantly more milk when I'm using them. Oh, that is so... So, Okay, I get that question mm -hmm. all the time. And I also find that with clients. I usually just say like, Mm -hmm. don't start using the progesterone until you have a very regular milk supply and you're like, your baby is good, you're confident, Mm -hmm. you know how to breastfeed. But I've only ever seen good results. It's just like... so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your body has to program itself and then it's a lot more resilient. So you like sensitize those prolactin receptors and then they can deal with a lot. But if you, for example, moms who deliver and then have a retained placenta, like a retained placenta piece, and like maybe they're having more cramping, maybe they're having more bleeding, they don't know what's going going on yet. Their milk doesn't come in. They feel like their baby's hungry all the time because there's their progesterone never dropped all the way because the placenta never came fully out. Oh. So so absolutely progesterone does inhibit prolactin in the beginning, but I feel like exactly once your supply is established, I feel like the resiliency is there to add those things in. Yeah. And this and is I different just than like know. progestin and the mini pill. Yes. But but bioidentical progesterone, I have not found that to be the case. Yeah, that's good to know. And mm-hmm. we had a question about pregnancy. And since you you had mentioned at 20 mm-hmm. weeks, you have enough prolactin to breastfeed. So many mm-hmm. people are like, can you breastfeed while you're pregnant? <laughs> yes, you can. If your baby is under six months, you need to be following really closely with your pediatrician to make sure they're getting enough milk. Generally, they're toddlers by that point, ideally. And you can totally breastfeed through pregnancy. Generally, there will be a little bit of a drying up phase. And interestingly, even though you can produce all the milk at 20 weeks, you're you're not really going to when you're pregnant. It's only if the placenta comes out at that point, you could breastfeed. So generally, moms will see a drop in supply by the end of the first trimester. And then they'll notice if their toddler is still nursing by the end of pregnancy, they will then start to notice a lot of colostrum all of a sudden. Okay. So there will be a little bit of an increase right at the end, but it's mostly comfort and tiny little bits, which is still beneficial for your baby or toddler. But definitely if your kid's under one, not so worried about the pregnancy side of it, more worried about is your baby actually getting enough milk at that point? Yeah, that's a really good point. I was curious because I'm like, I know so many people that do it, but it, they are, their kids are toddlers. So they're getting, you know, most of their nourishment is not coming from breast milk. Yeah, exactly. And most toddlers, pregnancy or not, are just getting a few ounces a day, you know, at that point. So, yeah. Hey, Amanda here, just giving you a quick break, hopefully a a break for your brain in the middle of this podcast episode to remind you that if you haven't gone through our free training, Optimizing Hormone Health Through Mineral Balance, we really do recommend starting there. And the main reason for that is because you're going to hear us say things like mineral foundation, having a solid foundation, are you putting the foundations in place? Especially what was we get deeper and deeper into different hormonal topics and specific imbalances in the body, the, the mineral foundation it's always going to be so essential. So if you haven't watched the free training, you can find it in our show notes or you can go to hormonehealingrd.com and it's going to be right on that front page there. But we really recommend starting there so that you can understand how is your current mineral status? How do you assess this and how to get started with all that just so you can get as much as you possibly can out of the rest of the podcast episodes. But that's it. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So we have a technical question that, which these are things that I feel like are just good for women that maybe they don't, they haven't breastfed yet, or they're about to, maybe they breastfed in the past or they had a baby they couldn't breastfeed. Now they're, they have another one. We had a question about can catching your letdown with a device like a Haka Mm -hmm. or an LV increase Mm -hmm. breast milk? I know you're going to do a lot of definitions before you answer this, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I thought that was a really good question. Yeah, that is a good question. I think that I don't have... Are you a leaker? <laughs> Can I ask you that? I don't leak anymore because now, okay. now she's like three and a it's half months. Yeah. I think that some people are leakers and some people aren't. So even some people are leaking at the end of pregnancy. Most people aren't. 
some people need to wear breast pads the whole time they're breastfeeding. (laughs) Some people don't. So I think that if you are a leaker, absolutely use a milk catcher and save all of that milk. (laughs) So what would happen is your breastfeeding baby on one side for the moms who haven't breastfed yet, sometimes the letdown response will happen on both sides when the baby's nursing on one side and you leak on the other side. So some moms will catch it in a towel or a burp cloth or just a pad in their nursing bra, but there are little silicone cups that you can tuck into the bra that catch it. And absolutely, I think if you're a leaker, you should do that. The haka is trickier. I don't know how you feel about it or if you've even tried it. My kids are so wiggly. I never really perfected the art of like haka on one side or pump on one side while they're nursing on the other side. And for first time moms, you're, you're almost always offering both sides for a while. So I, I would hate for somebody to feel pressure, like I should have pumped that side or put the haka on, and but now the baby's hungry and I don't want anybody kind of going down that little yeah. rabbit trail. But I have friends who have only ever used the haka to catch milk. It, the haka is, for those who don't know, is a one-piece silicone. It looks like a pump, but it does, it's not a pump. You like invert the flange on it and put it on your breast. So it catches the milk, but it also creates a negative pressure. So it's it's removing milk a little bit more. I'll put images. Actively. Yeah, perfect. Like for yeah. the video version of this. I'm, I yeah. just made it out for myself. So the hot, and I get what you're saying with the haka because it just kind of dangles, right? The benefit of the yeah. haka, you don't have to wear a bra. So yeah. I, I love that. I did use it yeah. for a long time. Mm-hmm. I find it's so fun. It, everyone's different. But I find that it actually, for me, worked better if I did not fold it back and, like, suction it mm. okay. super okay. tightly. Okay. I would still suction it, but it wouldn't be crazy strong, and I would get, like, yes. two to three ounces every time, yeah. Yeah. which was awesome. But then Eliana got very uh, wiggly, like you said, with your yes. kids as she mm. got older, and I was like, man – this is dangerous. I'm going to spill this yeah. milk and then you get yeah. very sad, you know? Yeah. So I got mm-hmm. an LV, which is the mm-hmm. same idea. Okay. It's still suction. So they call mm-hmm. them manual pumps, technically. I don't just use them as a catcher. I w- wouldn't even really be able to catch anything now because my yeah. milk has like regulated. But with the suction from the Haka or the LV, I do catch like a letdown. Usually mm-hmm. I still will get like between one and three ounces each time okay. um, she eats that I'm using it. it. It's been like a little less and I'm like, no, I don't want to have to pump. Cause I'm like donating breast milk to one mm-hmm. of my friends. So I'm hoping it hangs on for a little bit longer, but the LV is nice mm-hmm. because you put it in your bra and it's flat. So if is that you the ever, the lady, the LV ladybug is that? No, the, the ladybug is the, the lady haka one. Or... Yeah. That's the catcher, okay. but the okay. haka and the LV are both manual pumps. So it's just like good stuff to know Mm -hmm. because I know when I first, everyone's like, get a haka. And then I'm like, I don't know. I I personally will just use the LV next time. It's just so much more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I I got some engorgement with the haka. So look out for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the LV, I just never did. So, and you do have to wear a bra or something to hold it in place though. So those are kind of like the pros and cons, but Mm -hmm. I think most people are probably having, have some sort of like cami or bra on anyway. So you can Mm -hmm. tuck the LV right in there. But if you catch the letdown of the other side, does it Mm -hmm. technically increase your supply? Just catching it would not increase your supply. Using the haka or the LV. So do you have like the, uh, like the wearable, the wearable pump? Like it's not, yeah. the, L, the LV also makes an electronic like pump that oh, you yeah, can tuck no. in your bra. Yeah. So, so the LV and the haka technically could increase your supply. They wouldn't be like my first line of defense in terms of if a mom was meeting with me prenatally and we were coming up with a plan that wouldn't be the first part of the plan but definitely if you're in a situation like you are where you are and that honestly everybody that I know that does that is donating milk so it's funny that you say that so it's like the easiest way to do that absolutely and if, if the baby that needs milk is your own then absolutely it saves you a little bit of pumping but if you're truly dealing with an undersupply it wouldn't be my first go-to yeah, I think someone was just worried that they're going to get engorged was my thinking. Okay. But I don't but you're saying like it's not going to like crazily increase your milk supply so that like you now mm-hmm. have engorgement. Yeah. Yeah, no, but you're right. They can if you if you put too much suction on, it can cause your nipple to swell and your areola to swell, which is 
a little bit different than traditional engorgement, but yeah. that's a whole different problem. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I would say like, I don't know. I think the LV is more comfortable. Okay. You don't have to worry about spilling it, but you know, yes. do put, put both on your registry and mm-hmm. see what you like better. This is a good one and probably one that I was like, I don't know if she's going to be able to answer this, <laughs> but right. okay. I'm sure that <laughs> just more, just like without a visual, right. Of mm-hmm. like, cause someone was asking like, how do you know if you have a, a good latch? Like mm-hmm. one, how do you do a, How do you get a proper latch? One, how do you, and mm-hmm. then two, how do you know it's good? And this person mm-hmm. is already breastfeeding okay. and they're, they're struggling a little bit with latching. Okay. You should see the baby's mouth open, like as wide as if they're yawning. The corners of their mouth should be that wide. And I know looking back with my first, it was not that wide. It was always narrower, you know, and now I know so much more of it. And it always kind of hurt a little bit, you know, I never had nipple damage, but I was like, this just isn't super comfortable. Looking back, the corners of his mouth were never as wide as if he was yawning. You shouldn't be seeing tension in their lips or cheeks. They should look really relaxed when they're latched. Their lips should be flanged out, not like holding on with tension. And their cheeks should not be puckering or dimpling. Some people are like, oh, my baby has dimples. I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. Because sometimes they are using their cheeks like you would drink from a straw. And that's not how we want them to be moving breast milk. And that causes kind of sometimes their cheeks can cave in like you're drinking like a smoothie from a straw, or sometimes you'll just see dimpling there. We don't want to see that. So I'm telling you what, what not to look for for a deep latch. But mostly at the end of the day, a deep latch should be, you should feel movement, but not pain. And you should be hearing swallows. And when the baby's done, your nipple should still be rounded and it shouldn't be pinched up like a tube of new lipstick. Yeah, I remember when I read that first description, I was like, well, that's exactly yeah. what mine looks like. So <laughs> yeah. this is obviously not yeah. going well. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that I don't I'm maybe answer that question in reverse, how to know you don't have a wide latch, but But well, because it's kinda like I, I just feel like when you're until you're doing it, you don't really know. You know, like mm. I feel like I watched so many videos, there was like so many helpful visuals. The mm. course I did had like all different types of breast size, nipple size, which mm-hmm. I was like, this is great because you could find one that kind of looks like yours. Yeah. But again, like until you're actually in the moment doing it, it was like, I was kind of, I don't know, I think she's like, it looks like she, her yeah. mouth is open, you know, like it just was like, yeah, such you're a like mess. they're eating. And sometimes if you've been struggling, you're just so happy that they latched on that you don't want to <laughs> mess with it. And yeah. 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 The swallows though really helped me like hearing that. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not hearing any swallows. And then when she yeah. first got a good latch, it hurt so bad. And then I heard swallows mm-hmm. and then we kind of like were able to navigate from there. But yes. yeah, that's, that's a good, that's an important one. Mm-hmm. We had a really interesting one. I know we talked a little bit about tongue ties and like oral restrictions. Someone asked, is there anything you can do to decrease the probability? Mm. I know you're not like a (laughs) dentist, but you know. Yeah, no. So I'm trying to think. So Michelle Emanuel is an OT who developed the tummy time method. And she, so there are several different body work methods that are very helpful with with feeding babies with tongue ties. And one of them is tummy time method. So I've taken a class from Michelle. I've taken craniofascial therapy, Gillespie method training. One of her big things is mom's movement and mobility during pregnancy impacts how the baby's oral patterns and structures develop. And so I thought that was interesting because before that, I'd previously just heard, okay, it's a midline defect. It's related to MTHFR. It's, and I'm sure you more than anyone know that you had adequate folate during yeah. pregnancy, you know, and, and it can. So I remember with my second, I was like, okay, I'm going to take the methylated B vitamins, you know, and like her tongue tie was worse. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. And and then with the third one, I was like, okay, so Weston A. Price talks about vitamin A helps form symmetry. And then vitamin K, of course, helps with jaw development. And so this isn't a perfect experiment, but I have three kids. And so with the third one, uh, I worked with you right when I got pregnant and made sure that I was getting enough vitamin A and vitamin K. And then I also got craniosacral therapy for myself during this pregnancy. So he moved a lot more in utero and he still had a tongue tie, but his function was like drastically different, which was interesting. So it's more than just the folate piece. I think mom's movement 
vitamin A, vitamin K, those. But I think still at the end of the day, there's a hereditary piece. I mean, my husband has a tongue tie, like to the tip of his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Did he ever yeah, have it revised? He got it revised while I was pregnant this time. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, you've got to stop snoring. <laughs> so hi, I love you. Ross. <laughs> but there's a hereditary piece too, right? It's just all of us have different things and different facial features and and that's one of them too so I think I felt a little bit of shame with my second one because I felt like I did everything right that time and it was worse and I was just so confused so there's a lot of pieces I love the idea of the cranial having getting the cranial sacral therapy Mm -hmm. while you're pregnant I think I would definitely do that next time that's what really helped Eliana loosen hers yeah I think there's a genetic piece too because I have Mm -hmm. the exact same ones as her like tongue and lip mine are not tight Hers mm-hmm. are not tight anymore. And I think that's the important thing. If you guys are listening to this and you're like, I have a baby with a tongue tie. What do I do? I love the Freely Rooted podcast with Corey and Fallon. They did a great episode with Mikhail, who has a great mm-hmm. course called Midline Revolution that I did with Eliana. She goes okay. through a lot of body work and stuff, but the podcast episode in and of itself Mm-hmm. Well, just it goes through like the history of tongue ties. And one of the things I really like that Mikhail talks about is that you can have a tie there, but it might not be tight. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, like how you said your most recent baby, like theirs was more functional and the function mm-hmm. is what matters. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think now people are so quick to just like snip, snip, sip or use a laser and get rid of them. And, um, but then like, mm-hmm. they still don't have the function that <laughs> their tongue is supposed to have. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't solve all the problems that you thought it would, mm-hmm. but that's so interesting that the cranial circle therapy while pregnant, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause my other babies, I felt like they were just kind of locked and loaded by a certain point in the third trimester and this one was just moving around till till the end so because you figure if you're stuck in a a position you see this with people with various disabilities your your muscles shorten yeah and you know what I mean like there are asymmetries that develop that are purely positional and then it becomes a vicious cycle of like a weakness and then a shortening and a tightening and uh, yeah so I thought that piece was interesting yeah, I know one of the first things we did was go to the chiropractor with her. But I mean, technically, she didn't have any tightness. But he was like, my, my chiropractor is Webster based. And he's like, most mm-hmm. babies that he sees with oral restrictions that have trouble feeding, it is like a physical tightness. Like you're talking mm-hmm. about, they could get that like in utero, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so that's so interesting. Yeah, so absolutely. many, so yeah. many pa- facets, like and pieces of it. Okay, milk supply question. This person, they're still breastfeeding their babies nine months. I think they're seeing their supply dip. How can mm-hmm. you increase milk supply at nine months? Yeah. So I guess my question would be, how is your baby doing with solids? And what do we mean by dipping? And then yeah. also, yeah, has your cycle come back? Where are we in that? Because like I said, some people really will, even before their cycle has come back, they're like, oh, I'm having a lot of nipple pain and I feel like baby's not getting enough milk. And then the next week they get their period. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. My body was just a little <laughs> bit confused. So uh, your supply is supposed to go down by nine months. And I feel like that's hard in an age where we're so like outcome driven, you know, it's like, I got to have this crazy supply all the way through. And it's like, no, you, you don't. Once your baby is doing well with solids, nine months is a pretty common point for them to start doing well with solids. The first month or two is like learning and they may not be actually swallowing much of it but by nine months they should be eating solids two or three times a day like legitimate servings of them and one of the perks of that is that you don't have to suddenly have 30 ounces of milk a day for them so yeah I did struggle that with that with my first two because when I would go to work I would get less and I'm like oh my gosh like are we (laughs) and so it's all relative it's like what do we mean by lower what do we mean by less yeah it's it's normal for it to go down and generally most women are going to feel a little bit better like you know like we were kind of saying with your cycle coming back nine months is a common point for that to happen too by the way so there is something hormonally that happens there I wonder if she's gonna get it like right after I know yeah Yeah. and similar like someone asked about like six months like what's what is like a common cause of supply dipping at six months and I had messaged this person because I was like what do you mean it's just like so I'm like I know that Teresa's gonna need more context and she had just said that she she still is exclusively breastfeeding and they're trying to slowly incorporate solids but like you said like probably not eating much in the beginning and but she did say she had 
a lot of breast pain in the beginning and then it went away around like okay. the six week mark. So she kind of thought she was yeah. in the clear. Mm-hmm. So six months, I'm curious, do you know if she had a boy or a girl? I don't know. Yeah. I find that boys generally boy, when you have a boy, you actually produce higher calorie milk and they actually eat. No, I'm sorry. Boys have higher calorie milk vast overgeneralization and girls usually have a little bit of a higher supply okay and I, I would agree with that anecdotally from my own experience but that's what the textbooks say I have found with both of my boys that between five and a half and six months it was like you're starving me like what are we doing here <laughs> and they did they started waking up every hour at night and they just wanted to eat all day and I and I had the same exact thought like am I losing my supply and then I would go to work and pump and no nope, it's all it's all there and one of my friends who's a chiropractor and works a lot with babies said that she sees a lot of like a developmental need for different textures at that age even Because I remember with this baby in particular, I was like, you are getting, because I had somebody who was very ill-informed tell me that he was hungry and that's why he was waking all night. And at first I was like, he's not, like, he's gaining so much weight, like, I'm not starving my child. And I was so offended. And then I was talking to my friend and she was like, but there is a developmental need for different textures, different nutrients. She said, think if you ate milkshakes for six months, wouldn't you like crave a hamburger (laughs) or like a salad or something, you know, like you start needing variety nutritionally at that point too. And so if she's seeing those behaviors, I would wonder if maybe her supply hasn't decreased, but her kids needs have actually increased. Yeah. Which is then of course, when you introduce meat purees and broths and really nutrient dense things like that. Yeah, I feel like that would make so much sense for that mm. timeline. And that it's just a good one to know too. I'm just going to tuck that away in the back yes. of my mind <laughs> yeah, for when I get to like, that six month mark. <laughs> it caught me by surprise every time. I'm like, what you, like what is going on? And then like, oh, you're almost 6 months old. I guess I guess it's time. <laughs> and I have a I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I'm still curious of your answer. Is nipple confusion real if you're mm. doing combo feeding with breast and bottle? Like I can't tell you how many, cause uh, like so many, I saw four different lactation consultants mm-hmm. and they all were like, do not give her a bottle cause she'll oh, never no. breastfeed again. And oh, you can only God. use this kind of bottle. And I will tell you what, I gave that girl two bottles and she ate yeah. like, so well after that. And she just, she just needed yes. the energy and she's never taken a bottle mm-hmm. since pretty much. <laughs> but yeah. is yeah. it true? Do, should you avoid bottles if you're breastfeeding? I I hate the term nipple confusion because and I hate the term it's kind of along the lines of like your baby's just lazy or I mean like babies are so smart (laughs) they're not confused and they're not lazy it is true that if a baby is like only getting bottles so I'm thinking of my NICU babies in particular it's hard to go home after three months of bottles and switch to the breast and the odds of that are pretty low ideally you're working on it in the NICU I've seen plenty of babies thrive with both and be able to go back and forth with both the inability to go back and forth does point to oral motor dysfunction and type of bottle matters we do like the kind I like to say we want the bottle nipple to look like the breast during a feeding. So we don't want it to look like the breast that rests. So those ones that are like round and then they just have like a nipple sticking. I'm trying to think like the Tommy Tippy. Like yeah. it kind of it kind of looks like a breast, but not the way a breast looks like during a feeding. So then if yes. you put like the even flow balance nipple next to a Tommy Tippy nipple, you'll see that the slope is so much more gradual and it looks much more like your breast would look while the baby's latched. So that matters too. But again, a baby in a perfect world with no oral motor function dysfunction can do all of that. <laughs> I don't see a lot of babies like that because they don't need my help. I don't think that you can cause confusion. I think that you can cause a flow preference for sure, particularly if like in my case where a baby wasn't getting enough, he was on the low end of the weight range. And absolutely, like you're saying, they're they're not getting a lot of calories. They are conserving energy. You do want to give a bottle and it can actually improve breastfeeding to give them a bottle in an appropriate way. So we talk about paste bottle feeding and sidelining bottle feeding. 
We talk about slow flow nipples for a lot of babies Mm -hmm. because we don't want them to drink four ounces and five minutes and then go to the breast and it takes 20 minutes and they're frustrated. So generally it's a flow thing or an an oral motor thing more than like confusion. I I love the way that you explain that. And I think that's a great way to put it and will hopefully make people feel less afraid to introduce a bottle if they feel like their baby needs it. We were Mm -hmm. taught the paste bottle feeding. Honestly, we let it go because she, it would take her like Mm -hmm. an hour and it was just Mm -hmm. like insane. So (laughs) we just finally were just like, whatever. And she'll take him from my husband every once in a while Mm -hmm. if he needs to. But I mean, she's only taken probably like four bottles in her whole life. But yeah. <laughs> it was very helpful, those two in the beginning, because mm-hmm. it just yeah. gave her energy. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it does take them energy to eat. But I hate, I hate when I like I was so upset. And then to have her do so well, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I felt like a terrible mom yeah. giving her a bottle. Yeah. You know, so it was just like yeah. a whole thing. So I'm like, I can't yeah. wait to hear Teresa's no, answer. Especially if you have like nipple damage or pain or like you're dreading the next feeding session giving a bottle is going to preserve your breastfeeding journey. It's not going to destroy it. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Do you have time for one more? Yeah, totally. Breastfeeding and tooth decay. I thought this was very Mm. interesting. Mm. I didn't know. Is this common? So tell me how to avoid tooth decay in an extended breastfeeding child. Do you see that a lot? I don't personally, mostly because people aren't calling me by, by this point after a year. I helped moderate a Facebook breastfeeding group for a while. And there, what I see a lot is there are a lot of dentists that are shaming mom for breastfeeding at night once the baby gets teeth. So that absolutely is very prevalent. Is the breastfeeding causing cavities? I don't know. I don't think that it is. I, again, anecdotally, I breastfed my first two past two years at night. They've never had a cavity. Yeah. I feel like it's always nutrition. I can't, you know, you can't ignore their nutritional status. Mm, Yeah. It's minerals. And and I think there is also something to be said for ties, particularly there is a particular pattern of cavities that some toddlers get in their front teeth, actually. So it's not their back teeth. And sometimes you can have a lip tie that's so tight that it is trapping milk and milk sugar goes under there. So absolutely that's tooth decay. You probably do need to look at getting that revised if if it's tight enough and low enough to be trapping milk or food and holding it against the teeth. But I don't, I don't think there's enough actual evidence for it because I have looked into it too because I thought, oh my gosh, should I be like waking my toddler up to brush their teeth after I nurse them to sleep? And I just couldn't find any convincing evidence that that was the case. Yeah, I think our bodies are smart. Like if you look at breast milk and how it changes as the baby gets older and changes and just how our bodies adapt during pregnancy and postpartum, I'm like, there's got to be something built in for that, especially because in most parts of the world, and I mean, Mm -hmm. you breastfeed well past two years old. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is mouth breathing. Is your kid oh, mouth yeah. breathing? Your your kid with cavities. So yeah, I think mouth breathing and minerals and um, oral restrictions are yeah. much more culprits than breast milk. Yeah, but it's so like if you if someone is breastfeeding and they're seeing that if they you know if their dentist is kind of pointing to the mm, breastfeeding yes. and saying don't do that like there's mm. a few things you can also like yeah. look more yeah, into. Find a, find a holistic dentist. <laughs> yeah. Yes, if you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so. You're a lactation consultant. You Mm -hmm. work online with people too, right? I do. Yeah, I do virtual consult and in person. Okay. Any tips for finding a good lactation consultant? Oh, that's so hard. I don't love Facebook mom groups necessarily, but they are a good place to find local resources. So I think asking, where can I find a lactation consultant in my area? There is no actual database, which is kind of weird because it's an international like certifying board, but they don't, you can't search on their website by area. You can only search by name to verify that that person is in fact an IBCLC. So there's not a great database. I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> Maybe I need to build it, but it's it's word of mouth, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I asked like my midwife, I got a recommendation yes. from my chiropractor. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. I didn't even think to ask him. And then when we were yes. having trouble, he was like, Hey, I really like this person. 
And then we That's saw cr- like other providers, right? Like if you yes. trust other providers, mm-hmm. especially I, I did a home birth. So like my midwife was like, you know, more holistic for mm-hmm. sure. So I trusted like who she recommended me. But I think asking providers if you can or other people that have had babies and you know that they breastfed, do they see someone, someone it also that's in North Carolina, she recommended someone that was like somewhat close. So yeah, word of mouth. Yeah. But I was like, I'm like, I don't, I could not find I anything know. online, unfortunately. I'm like, I no. wonder if she does. <laughs> Yeah, asking your provider is probably even better than asking in a mom's group because they've worked directly with these people and kind of have a feel for yeah. who would be a good fit for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but- and you do you just want to ask them their background and their experience. And I think IBCLC is technically the gold standard, but I have known I knew one CLC who was, it's like a lesser certification, but she'd been a La Leche League leader and she'd done this for like 20 years. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. She's a great person to go to. You don't only have to look for an IBCLC. It's much more about like what your experience and knowledge base is. Yeah. And I think too, just like, you know, asking them questions, like if you have a concern, being like, how would you address this situation? like are you open-minded if you have like a specific thing that maybe you don't want to budge on you know like just that that was like the first thing I asked if I'm like okay I want I need help with actual latch work but I'm not going to get her revised like will you help me and not constantly tell me that she needs a revision because it's like so frustrating so it's it's like don't be afraid to ask questions but your Mm -hmm. course hopefully will be launched by the time that this comes out what can people (laughs) expect from the course like what can they expect to learn yeah, so it's kind of everything. I'm, I'm building it with my friend Courtney, who's also an IBCLC. And um, I have three kids and she's pregnant with her third. And we just both struggled with our first. <laughs> and we just, this is just everything we wish we had known. So it is everything we teach in our in-person classes, but then it's so much more because you have the online platform, again, where people can pause and come back. And we're just like throwing out all those anchors for your whole postpartum journey, not just for nipple pain. So it walks through preparing for your breastfeeding journey, kind of some of the nerdy parts of how your milk comes in and the nutritional status of milk and how mom's nutritional status affects it. Then of course we do all the breastfeeding one-on-one stuff and we talk a lot about postpartum physical health, postpartum mental health. It really, it's like a breastfeeding and postpartum course combined into one. I love so, that. Yeah. We're Everything really that you need because postpartum yes. is so amazing, but it can be very challenging. So mm-hmm. arm yes. yourself with as much like education and knowledge as you can. I love that. I can't wait to go through it. Honestly, yeah, I'm excited. And yeah, so I'll, gra- I'll grab all those links from you when it's officially yeah, out. I, I can't wait. I know you guys have been working so hard on this oh even since gosh. like we last yeah. talked. So. I know it's ridiculous. We're, uh, Cause yeah, when you know, when you have kids like work, work plans, just it's like, oh, okay. My babysitter canceled today. I guess I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And you it's know, hard. it's, it's an adventure. Childcare just, is the yeah. hardest thing ever do a whole module on child care no um yeah well we do talk about we do talk about child care but it is yeah what has it been hard for you just the emotional part of of leaving emotional or just finding, finding the right person mm-hmm. i feel like everything mm-hmm. every aspect and and all my mom friends warned me they all warned me and i'm yeah. like it <laughs> just doesn't matter it's like you know you just kind of think again until you're in it because what are you going to do you're like okay well that's great i'll try to look out for that but yeah. yeah, it's it's challenging. And then being away from your baby, it just feels to me like biologically wrong. I miss her. I yes. miss her right now. And I can't wait to yes. go snuggle her when we get off. Yes. And it's just really hard all around. But it but then like mm-hmm. you're holding them and you forget it all. So, you yes. know, I think it's just good to like be mentally prepared that if you do have to end up like going back to work and get childcare, like talk to someone about it, talk to other, like mm-hmm. what's really helped me is talking to other moms, obviously like therapists and stuff are great, but like mm-hmm. there's nothing like just chatting with another mom and you know, she's got like a golden nugget for you or she just says one yeah. thing that makes <laughs> you feel better or you're yeah. just both are there to support each other. So yeah. 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 Three months is so soon. I mean, I, I still vividly, re- yeah, it's like physically difficult and sometimes you're so overwhelmed and you need that break but then you step away from your baby and you're like I don't feel okay right now it's the weirdest thing she's napping I'm like watching videos of her it's like what (laughs) it gets better like somewhere between six and nine months and then with each kid that part's a little easier but going back to work at three months 
when people are in my class, some of them are like, oh, I'm just going to take six weeks. And I'm like, I just really want to encourage you to take 12 weeks. Like, just minimum, minimum. Yes. I mean, you can have the most straightforward delivery in the world. Yeah, exactly. If you can, which is the unfortunate part. But absolutely, like those extra six weeks are going to affect the rest of your life. I mean, that sounds drastic, but it's like, it's just six weeks. Yeah. And, and I mean, my leaves were unpaid every time. So I totally, I get it. It was hard, but we were thankfully able to make that work. And I know that some people are in a position where they can't, but going back at six weeks or less is just, it's emotionally. It's hard for you. Yeah. For the baby. Like I just can't imagine. It's hard to maintain a breastfeeding relationship because you've just kind of gotten in the swing of things. And it's hard for your health, like the stress levels and the physical stress of being up and about at work. And it's just, oh, yeah, I just wish that we had a different way to do that now. But 12 weeks feels so long when you don't have a baby. And then when the baby's here, you're like, what happened? I know. I know. And then you're kind of like just getting your groove. And then you're like, oh, no, everything's going to change. I like just figured out how to do all of this. Exactly. That's where we're at now. But Um, it's it's like slowly getting better. And it feels so good to be back and like doing things. Not that I wasn't Mm -hmm. working completely for those three months. I really tried. (laughs) I really tried. But yeah, so I love that it covers the postpartum experience too. Because I do think that like, yes, actually like the logistics and stuff of breastfeeding is so important. But even just having a little bit of knowledge of like, here's all the stuff that comes with that. Cause it's not just yeah. breastfeeding. There's like, you know, yeah. other things in your life and stuff that are going on. So mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I can't. And what is it called? What's it going to be called? It's called nourished beginnings. And so it's kind of encompassing the mom and the baby. So. Oh, that's really sweet. That's a really great name. Thanks. Took us like six months to come up with it. <laughs> the good ones always do. I yes. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on and chatting with me, Therese. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. We'll see what kind of questions we get. I would love to do like a specific because we haven't covered breastfeeding on my podcast before. So this is kind of just like a okay. little yeah. generalized thing. If we get a ton of questions, mm-hmm. maybe we do another episode. Okay. Yep. But yeah, I just appreciate it. I love chatting with you and I love your approach. I think it's very yeah, balanced. It's not overwhelming. It's attainable. Thanks. And like, that's what moms need. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review and sharing the podcast with someone you think it will help. If you are new here, we can't recommend enough to start with our mineral imbalance quiz. This is going to give you an idea if you are at low, moderate, or high risk for mineral imbalances. And then of course, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Hormone Healing RD and consider signing up for our newsletter. If you like nerding out and you are just loving these podcasts, but maybe you're a little bit more visual and you want to see things too, we go into a ton of detail in our weekly newsletter. So we would love to have you join us there. All right. Thank you. And we will see you in the next episode.